Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Hello. It works, yes. I would just like to thank Rochelle for stealing my um, altar call. So I'll just trust the Holy Spirit for a different one. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's, um, that's awesome. It's, a, it's really good to be with you this morning. Um, it's, a, it's been a while since I've, I've preached. Um, in fact, while we're on that word, what's the, what's the past tense for teach? Right. So for preach? <laughs> prot, right? So it's been a while since I've prot. That's what Lauren and I say in our house. We've, we've now evolved it to protted. So I protted um, about 18 months ago. Um, so it's, it's good to be back here. Um, I, I know a lot of you, but I've also scanned the room, and there's also a lot of people that I, I, I don't know, um, so it's, it's good to interact with you this way this morning. Um, my name's Stefan. Um, my wife and I moved up to Joburg about 10 years ago. We met each other here, fell in love here, uh, got married in Cape Town, but very, brief, very quickly moved back here. Um, we, you, you probably will not have seen too much of us the last sort of year, year and a half, we um, did lockdown in the in Stillby, um, on the coast by, in the Western Cape, and um, we came back in sort of August last year, prepared for our third baby's birth, um, and so our son Daniel was born in in October last year. Uh, so we have three boys, five and under, um, <clears throat> which is a handful. Um, it's a uh, let's just say it's abundant in every in every sense of the word. <laughs> um, yeah, I work, for a, I work for a consulting firm here in Joburg. Um, my wife and I was also quite involved with the planting of the Santon congregation, and we're still uh, members, uh, well, I guess, for Shofar Joburg, mainly involved in the Santon congregation, um, and we serve as elders on the, on the elder board as well. Um, yeah, so it's good to be with you here this morning. While I was praying for, for the service, I, I had the sense that there may be some of us who... I, I had I had these these words, you know, that for arms that may have grown tired, and and knees that may feel feeble, and I feel like some of us may just have lost a bit of courage, may have lost a bit of perspective, may have lost a bit of strength. Maybe some of us. Our hearts have become a little bit cold, a little bit hard as we've waited on God. It's been long and it's been tough. And what I'm trusting God for is really a shift of our hearts to a position where we know who He is. Um, we're fully aware of God's presence with us and who He is in a season of waiting. Um, and so that's my, that's my hope for us this morning. That's what I'm trusting God. That's what I sense that He wanted to do. Um, and that's what I'll be sharing around. Um, Previously on, on faith in waiting, I, I preached on this subject, uh, sorry, brought on this subject um, about three years ago. It was uh, September 2018, and I, I very confidently announced the part two to the sermon. Um, and I remember, like, I actually, when I saw Becca this morning, I remember Becca actually came to me and she's like, when are we having part two of the sermon? Um, but I thought maybe it's apt that, that we waited for part two of the, of the waiting sermon, right? So there's a bit of a practical there. Um, when, I, when I shared then, I shared on the, 
the why of waiting, right? Almost what is, the, what is the benefit of waiting? What is it that God does in us? What is the product of our waiting after having waited? Um, and we looked, at, we looked at this scripture, right? James 1 verse 3 to 4, which says, The testing of, of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work. The ESV talks about the full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so the testing of our faith is not always um, pleasant, it's not always enjoyable, it's not always convenient or comfortable, but it is amazing, right? In the sense that this is the effect of our faith being tested, and waiting is a significant way of our faith being tested. But it says, this is what happens while we wait. There is a full effect that takes place. Right? There's a perfect work that's being done inside of us that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Can the perfectionist say amen? I'm joking. This is not what that means, right? It's not about performance. This is about a maturity in God. This is about the gospel infiltrating every area of our lives and us being redeemed into the image of Christ and walking like Him. And so that was about the why of waiting. Today is going to be a little bit more about the how. What, what, do, we, what do we do while we're in it? Right? The promise is great. Love it. You know, that, that can also sustain us and, and help us look forward to what, what God is doing in the process. But what is, our, what is our posture? What is the position of our heart while we're in it? Right? How do we wait? Who do you feel like you are in a sort of in a season of waiting or waiting for something? A few of us, okay, good. Um, I think the challenge is sometimes that popular culture doesn't celebrate waiting. <laughs> Would you agree? Popular culture celebrates take charge, make it happen, live your best destiny now. Carpe diem, you know, like one life, live it, you know, make it happen, grab onto it, both, you know, both horns of the bull, go for it. You know, even, even um, Nelson Mandela, who many of us respect a lot, I think missed it a little bit in this sense. He said, I am the captain of my soul. And one can understand him wanting to say that after, after having been oppressed for so long and having been other men having been feeling like other men are the captain of his soul and that desire for independence. But we know, like, as a Christian, I'm actually not the captain of my soul. There is another who is the perfect captain, who is a good captain, and he is the captain of my soul. A.W. Tozer, I've heard that um, Letitia also quoted from this book this morning. He says, It will cost something to walk slow in the parade of the ages. While excited men of time rush about confusing motion with progress, but it will pay in the long run, and the true Christian is not much interested in anything short of that. And so I think we need to be sober that this is a countercultural posture that we're taking up, right, when we're waiting in God. This is not what the environment around us will celebrate. And I believe that how we wait matters to God now and in the long run. And it's been my experience and it's been my observation in others that there's, there's primarily two 
defaults or two temptations for us to slip into when we're in this, this place of waiting on God. The one is where we're pushing that rock up the hill and we're, we're taking charge. We're doing it in our strength. We've decided that we're going to make it happen, right? And we're striving in it. We're exerting a lot of effort, but it's, it's really us that's trying to force something outside of its timing. And that is extremely tiring, right? The other temptation can be to, to check out. You know, maybe many of us have been disappointed in the past. Maybe of us have, like the, the, the bitter taste of disappointment is still fresh. And so to protect ourselves from disappointment we disengage. We don't actively wait. We become a little bit cynical. We don't actually wait in expectation in God. We remove ourselves and we check out a little bit. But there is a third way. There is a third posture. And I believe what we read in Psalm 130 gives us a lot of insight into to what this looks like. So let's, let's read that together. Psalm 130, I'm reading from the ESV. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And if we look at those first two verses, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. You know, I think sometimes when we come to God, we can be very British. We can be very correct and polite in our way. And we can be a bit of a textbook Christian. And we can be like, Lord, I'm waiting, but you're good. And, you know, I'm just going to persevere. And we, we, we string all the Christianese words after each other. And um, that's not what I see in the psalmist's cry here. I see a very deep A very deep cry, right? Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. I'm desperate for you, God. I can't see. I've lost perspective. I'm nowhere, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive, God. Hear me. You know, like, that's, that's almost an irrational prayer to pray. Like, is God deaf? Can he not hear? Like, you're stating the obvious here, but that's the heart's cry, right? That's bringing our authentic selves vulnerably to him and saying, Lord, I need you. I'm in desperate need of you, God. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And so I think the first thing is when, we, when we're waiting, let's, let's keep it real. 
right? Let's process vulnerably in God's presence through prayer. Let's come to him not with, not with pretense, not with veils, not with a neatly structured dialogue, but let's come freely in his presence and allow the depths of our heart to come out and process that in his presence through prayer. God knows that we are human. He's not intimidated by our humanness. I think it blesses him when we come to him in this attitude. And we need it as well. You know, like Letitia shared that analogy of the house. My experience has been that God will, God will meet me to the extent that I allow him in. Right? And if we bring a very neatly packaged prayer, you know, but when we see that when the psalmist calls out like this, the, the, the posture of his heart actually changes throughout the psalm. Verses 3 and 4 say, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Another way of saying, if you should mark iniquities, is to say, O Lord, if, if you had to keep a record of my sin, who would be able to stand? If he had a, a whiteboard and he wrote everything down and, and there were black dots, like who of us would be able to stand in his presence? And in our natural reasoning, you know, like, like if, I think, if I think just with my logical brain, to me, that would inspire the fear of God. If you know, like, he's watching and he's going to be keeping score and he's writing this stuff down, like, I would think in my natural human reasoning that that would sort of make you like, okay, I need to focus here, you know. But God says, I'm not like that. With you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. It's not his keeping count of our sin that inspires the fear of God. It's his forgiveness. It's his mercy. This is the gospel. It's his, you know, sometimes I think we try to, we try to, we, we, we water down our sin. And we water down the, the holiness of God so that we can bring the two together. Our sin is not so bad and, and God is a friend, which he is, but he's also really holy. And so we, we try to like, but, but it's like a magnet, right? It pushes away. I think the secret is in understanding the magnitude of our sin and the magnitude of God's mercy, of his forgiveness. And that actually draws us. That actually softens our hearts when we realize that he would, when we are so undeserving, would extend forgiveness. And that draws us into a place where there's a holy reverence, but it's a close holy reverence. It's, a, it's an intimate holy reverence. A few months back, we were away for a weekend with friends of ours in the Free State, and I had some time to, to just have, have quiet time. And I was worshiping, and, and as I was worshiping, I just saw, like, I just saw the Lord's holiness. I just saw Him on His throne, and I saw He's so worthy, and and I was, I was so, I was so um, aware of, of how unworthy I am 
in that moment. And, and God, through his grace, revealed to me actually like myth stuff in my heart, idols in my heart. And I, I recognized in that moment how, like, how much I still want the, the praise of man and how much I still want to be, like, even, even in the stuff I do for God, I'm like, I'm like, I want that recognition and I want people to say, sure, you know, Stefan is amazing and just go to him and he'll sort you out, you know. And in that moment, I just saw this desire for fame and just like stuff. And I was like, oh, and I could see like how, how myth it is. But there was also an invitation. And I could just say, Lord, I give this stuff to you. Come and touch my lips with that coal. And I could enjoy intimacy, an amazing intimacy with the Lord, despite my shortcomings, because of his blood, because of his mercy, because of his forgiveness. And so when we're waiting, let us, let us allow the gospel to soften our hearts and draw us closer to him in holy reverence. Verses 5 and 6 say the following. And notice how the psalmist posture changes with each almost stanza, with each two verses. Crying out in desperation. An awareness of sin, but also a confidence in God's forgiveness. And then, then there's almost a, a peace that begins to come through. Right? Verses 5 and 6 say... I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. He says it three times in these few lines, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, my soul waits for the Lord. It's, you can almost like see him speaking to his soul. He says, wait for the Lord, like my emotions, my, my thoughts that want to run ahead and my emotions that are anxious, shh, wait for the Lord. And in his word, I hope, and, and that word, I was like, what does this word refer to, right? Does it, is, this, is this God's written word or is it his, his spoken word in, in, the, in the sense of prophecy? Um, I was reading in a couple of a couple of concordances to find out the one um, concordance says that this word says the word of God as a divine communication in the form of commandments, prophecy, and words of help to his people. And so it's both. It's his written word, the Bible that is infallible truth but also the Holy Spirit's specific word to us in a specific time, in a specific place, which encourages our heart and sets direction, which determines our perspective, right? And he says, in his word, I hope. In his word, I hope. While I'm waiting, I will find hope in his word, his divine communication in the form of commandments, prophecy, and words of help to his people. So we hope in his word, but this, this picture of the watchman is also quite a, it's quite a, like a, a visceral picture almost. More than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. And I, I remember when we, were in, um, when we were on missions in Malawi, we had watchmen. Um, you know, we were in very rural areas, we were camping out in villages, and there was, there was an assigned watchman 
who sat outside of the huts each night and watched. And thinking back to it now, there's always something, there's something about these watchmen. I think God has like a special grace. I think this, you know, but if you think about it, that's, it's not an easy job, right? You're, you're, you're awake when everyone else is sleeping. It's dark around you. I can imagine it being quite lonely. It gets quite cold at night typically. And there are risks, right? There's, there, there are thieves that may come and try to steal, especially if there's a missions team from South Africa with probably quite a few things that would be attractive to them. There are wild animals in those parts, um, which is also a risk. And I think you can, you can wait in two different ways. You can sort of, you can wait passively in the one side, which will actually make the, the waiting feel longer, or you can wait actively, right? You can, you can do what your hands find to do in that sense. As a watchman, you can watch. You can be vigilant, right? You can walk the grounds. You can check for risks. It's, it's probably, I would think, amazing time for fellowship with God as well because it's quiet around you and you quiet. And, and I think that's something important for us as well, that sometimes we, we wait for something that we've seen a glimpse of and we're keen for that thing to come past and to come closer but we can, actually, we can actually miss what God is doing in the here and now if, we're, if we just live there. And so do what your hands find to do. Whenever we are in a season of waiting, we're also in a different sense in a season of doing. There's also people, there's also assignments, there's also things to do. So let us also wait actively and not passively. The last two verses says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And in the previous section we saw, and in his word I hope, here we see I hope in the Lord. My hope is actually in the person of who God is. I remember his character, I remember his attributes, I remember his heart, which sustains me in the waiting. And it's almost like if you, if you look at the previous section, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, my soul waits for the Lord. Here he says, oh Israel, hope in the Lord. He's included in Israel, right? But it's also a nation, it's also a community. But there's almost a, a speaking or a prophesying over his heart and the hearts of the people around him. And I remember I was, I was also not too long ago, a few months ago, I had, a, I had an opportunity with, uh, um, to make a career change. Um, and there was a conversation on the table, and in the natural for me, it ticked a lot of my boxes, but I realized it also actually it also actually represented a lot of the that, that moment that I spoke about earlier, where I just was aware of some of the stuff in my heart and brought that to God. Um, I was aware how this position also represent would almost like give me some of that stuff. Right, it would give me 
influence and a cool story and a, and a public, you know, thing. And, um, and I remember I was actually driving from Stolby that morning to Stellenbosch. It's a three and a half hour drive. It was misty, so it was like a four hour drive. Um, and I was driving and I was just thinking about this and I, and I just, the Holy Spirit led me actually just to begin to prophesy over myself. And I was speaking to my soul, and I was, I was saying, I bind you to the will of God. I bind you to the destiny that Christ has prepared for you. I say, be still. Every, every idol, everything that yearns after something that's not God, that's not prepared in his kingdom, I quieten you now in the name of Jesus. And I say, you will follow the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and in the beginning, <laughs> it felt quite weird, and I thought if someone had to see me now, or if a psychologist had to assess me now, it would, it would not go very well, but I could really experience the presence of God, and, and, and it brought me such comfort that the Holy Spirit would lead me in such a prayer. And it was an amazing conversation. And I was so excited by many things that that, that opportunity represented for me. But I also so clearly did not have peace about it. And I was so grateful that, that God led me so clearly in that. But I think sometimes we need, to, we need to speak to our soul. We need to speak to our thoughts and our emotions that want to lead us into a different direction and to say, no, this is who God is. This is the, the truth of his word. This is the word that he's spoken. And that's what's going to guide you. But with the Lord, there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption. That is so powerful, such a powerful, sustaining characteristic of God in the waiting. He, with him, there is steadfast, unfailing, unconditional, true love and plentiful redemption, lots of salvation. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Some of the things we, wait, we are waiting for will will be fully fulfilled the side of eternity. But many things will not. Many of the things we're waiting for is actually a waiting for eternity. If we think about full redemption, right? He says he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Another translation says there will be full redemption. We have been fully redeemed now in the sense that the full penalty of our sins have been, have been carried by Christ. His blood covers all the penalty and the consequences of all of our sins from a salvation and entering into eternity perspective. But still, we find ourselves sinning. Is there a human being who has come to the end of their life and say, there is no sin in me. I do not yield to any temptation ever. And so in that sense, there's a full redemption. When we see Christ, we will be transformed into his likeness fully in eternity. So that's from a redemption point of view. It's also true for something like belonging. We have... We have there's, there's been something in our hearts been created, a deep cry to belong. I've been reading my... I 
This is my uh, grandmother's book, a book about her life story. She, had a, she has a remarkable life. She's 94 now. She's still with us. She wrote this still last year. Um, she's, she's, still, she's still there and, and healthy. Um, she, she's had, they've had an incredible life. I've, I've, my grandfather wrote a similar story and, and now my grandmother as well. Um, she was born in Malawi to missionary parents um, 94 years ago, and her mom passed away when she was only a few weeks old. Many missionaries in Malawi lost, uh, lost kids and spouses, to, especially to malaria, um, but they, they knew that they were called, so they stuck it out. So... Her dad was, was convinced that God wanted him to be in Malawi, but he knew that he couldn't do the mission work and raise her as a single parent. So her and her five siblings were sent to go stay, to grow up and live with five different um, distant family members in South Africa. And she grew up on a farm outside of Grafrenet. And, um, and then she you know, went to university, met my grandfather. He actually felt a call to do mission work in Malawi. And so she married him, and they moved back to Malawi and did mission work for a long time there. Um, they were then, they were then um, um, deported. They were evicted and deported from Malawi. They were given a 48-hour notice period to, to leave the country after having been there for a long time and having done amazing work. Um, they, they moved to the Pole, where they ministered in a local congregation in Pole, and then there was an opportunity for them to return to Malawi, which they, which they felt they should take up, and they went back. But throughout my grandmother's story, there's, a, there's this theme of a deep desire to belong, a deep desire to come home. And when, when they got back to Malawi the second time, she wrote this. I'm going to read it in Afrikaans and then I'll, I'll translate it to English. Terug op een koma, bly ons by Charlotte en Atti in die Himans sy huis. Teen my verwachting is het swaar om terug te wees. Ons mis van ons ou sendingvriende op een koma en ek huil oor ons perlfamilie. In die perl het ek altyd gedink, Malawi is my eindelike huis. And now come I not to So she's saying, against, against her hope, against her expectation, it was heavy to go back to Malawi, to be back in Malawi. They missed some of their previous friends who also stayed in Malawi, who had moved on. And, and she, was, she was sad. She was crying about, you know, people who had become like family in Paul. And when they were in Paul, they always thought Malawi is their actual home. And now she just feels like she's not, she's not, she hasn't come home yet. And my mom was helping write, a, helping to write this story, helping to write this book. And she said, it's, it sort of feels like it's something that's hanging at the end of the book, at the end of my grandmother's life story. And I just said to my mom, we were not made for here. And this is how they, this is how they ended the book. It's from Hebrews 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. 
They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. C.S. Lewis says it like this. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is we were made for another world. And so in our waiting, let us also, let us also allow our waiting to point us to eternity, to recognize that, yes, God is going to do amazing things, and much of the promises and the prophecies and the, the things that we're waiting for here is going to come to pass, and we should contend, we should wait expectantly, but let us also recognize that there are parts of our hearts that will never be fully satisfied until that day. And allow that to help us see eternity more clearly. And to allow that to make us be more effective in the here and now. So to summarize, and um, the, the band can come up please. If we look at Psalm 130, this, this should be our posture in waiting. Let's keep it real. Let's process vulnerably in His presence through prayer. Let's allow the gospel to soften our hearts and draw us closer to Him in holy reverence. Let us find hope in His word. Wait actively, not passively. And let us memorialize his love and faithfulness. Let's build memorials. Let's remember what he's done in the past. Let's remember who he is. And let's rest in unshakable, eternal promises. Keeping our eyes fixed on him and doing what our hands find to do. And um, you're welcome to stand with me, please. There, there are a few things that I felt is maybe just an opportunity for us to, to consider, to reflect, to consider, and perhaps respond to. And I'm going to put it up here on the screen. And as we, as we just engage the Lord in, in one last worship song, I'd like you to, to bring your heart before the Lord. Whatever He's stirring in your heart at the moment. While I was preparing for, for this morning, I was praying, and I, I heard God ask me, Am I enough for you in the waiting? Am I enough for you in the waiting? And, you know, if I was just being completely honest, I was like, Lord, I know, like cognitively, and just by recognizing the truth, I know that you are, but if I'm honest about if, if, I, if I look at how my heart responds in the waiting, I would have to say, not yet. But come, Lord, be enough for me in the waiting. And it, it made me think about Abraham. And God chose Abraham as the father of faith and as the father of Israel and as, as the father of all these descendants, this great, like, 
people of God that he would raise up through him. He gave him the promise of Isaac. And, and in some ways, even Abraham, the, God of, the, the father of faith, did not wait that well at times. If you think about the fact that he, he forced the promise, right? He took his, his wife Sarah's advice and he, he went to go lay with his female servant and they had Ishmael which was a forced promise in his own strength. But even that couldn't thwart God's promises. Like God wasn't in... So even if you feel like you haven't been waiting, well, don't be condemned. You know, find courage that even Abraham didn't wait that well all the time. God is just always saying, come. And what he, what he told Abraham in the waiting, between the receiving the promise and seeing the promise fulfilled is, Abraham... I am your exceedingly great reward. Not Isaac, not the descendants, as many as the sand on the seashore. And as much as that is my word, I'm going to do that as well. Remember that I am your great reward. Am I enough for you in the waiting? Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.